2: It's Jim Kramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action.
1: Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Kramer at the New York Stock Exchange. David Faber is at Liberty Media Day in New York City. His exclusive with John Malone in just a few moments. In the meantime, futures taking a step back today. We do have some hawkish Fed speak on the tape. Dollar on pace for the best week since September, plus reaction to Cisco, NVIDIA, Macy's and Kohl's. Our roadmap's gonna begin with growth concerns. JP Morgan is predicting a mild US recession next year. We got those tech earnings and messages from NVIDIA, Cisco and even Alibaba. And overconfident and careless, the words of Sam Bankman fried and yet another tweet storm about the FTX collapse. We'll begin, though, with stocks sinking in the pre-market. Jim, a lot of this is coming on the heels of Bullard's slideshow, in which he did say that restrictive could mean 5 to 7. It's getting talked about quite a bit.
2: Right. Well, I, I think that we have uh, disparate views. Lale Brander the other day, uh, uh, and what it does is sow confusion and sow uh, uncertainty, almost to the point that they want to sow confusion and uncertainty. I mean, I listen to what Bullard says, and I like Bullard very much. And my first reaction is just be very careful, sell everything, raise cash. Uh, If you're looking for 7%, then do something that is, uh, that says that things could go into a very severe recession and that they want it. And I'm not sure that that that's wrong. I mean, look, if you want to break, you know, Paul Volcker did not care if he created a recession. He cared about, uh, about making it so that there was no inflation. And Bullard's got, I think he's got a formula that says if things continue to go awry, this is a good idea. But then you have Barry Sterling this morning saying things are already awry. Now, maybe Barry Sterling has more to gain, but I think he's a pretty (laughs) pretty straight shooter. But uh, look, I think that anything's on the table if inflation reignites. Uh, and also, Andy's on the table. If you if you feel that the CPI didn't have a lot of validity,
1: that's interesting. Um, you know, J- the J.P. Morgan desk this week said that PPI made them think maybe the CPI print was not a one off, yes. not an al- anomaly. Um, but then you had Waller yesterday saying, "I've seen this movie before, and I am not going to get head faked by one number."
2: Well, look, I-, I think that they've been pretty clear that it is without a doubt uh, that that they have to go longer, I and mean, Jay Powell said that, because just to be sure that they're right, because the one thing you don't want to do is stop, and then the numbers get bad. That, that That's their own credibility on the line. Look, if you want their credibility to be to, to uh, be uh, validated by everything, then you just said what Bullard said, which is that, look, if things get really bad, you can see this is where we're going to go. So once again, I applaud him. Now, Mike Chappell trusts his own stocks, and, and clearly... Uh, you're at odds with him if you're if you're fully invested, but you're not at odds with him if you have if you have some cash, maybe a lot of cash. So I, I listen to all these people, and they they obviously have, you know, they have very different views. Yeah. But they're entitled to the views. But there is one man who runs things, and if he thinks that things have indeed uh, gotten under control, then I, I think that you can take more risk. Maybe we took too more too much risk based on Lyle Brainer.
1: In the meantime, in terms of recession risk, David, uh, I mean, J.P. Morgan may be predicting a mild one for next year, but Goldman actually says none of the data we've been getting lately is even remotely recessionary. And that's maybe why Atlanta Fed's looking for a forehandle this quarter.
0: Yeah, I know Jan Hatzi is saying we should narrowly avoid a recession, I guess. Uh, Guys, you know, interestingly, and we'll get to Malone in a bit, um, but he's in the camp, I would add, of those who believe we're going to have a mild recession next year as you take a look at what Jan Hatzius had to say in terms of at least his view that PCE slows from 5 to 3 in late 23, uh, and we get a half a point point rise in the unemployment rate um, as well. Um, And there you have the rest of it. You know, Jim, listen, we've got so many earnings this morning, Um, whether it's Cisco, obviously you had Chuck Robbins with you last night on Mad Money, NVIDIA, Alibaba, With that incredible 3% revenue growth, I kid, because I can remember the days when it was three something, 36, 38, 39, just three. Um, But not any outsized moves, guys, in terms of at least the response to many of these earnings, either up or down. Uh, You know, I think Nvidia may be down a bit, Macy's may be up a bit, Cisco may be up a bit, Baba down. So, and there you see it. Um, But Jim, I want to come to you on these. Sure.
2: Well, NVIDIA said that uh, over and over again that China was tough, although they did arrange it so that they had uh, something to sell that was in keeping with what our government wanted. But the word tough, the word tough keeps coming up. Uh, the supply chain issues that that uh, Chuck Robbins had from Cisco have been solved and that those involve China. It doesn't do an actual lot of business in China, in part because I think they recognized early on not a great place to work. Uh, the analysts were way too skeptical. Uh, By the way, Macy's, uh, just to be sure that everyone knows, the last two weeks of October were not good, but the first week of November was good. So I think we've got to get away from the this day, that day, or otherwise we're going to have to report on what it's like tomorrow in the weather. Uh, So what I think, David, is, is that there's more confusion than I've seen about how strong or weak the economy is. But the more confusion there is, the more nervous people get, the more it becomes inevitable that we have at least a soft recession quote.
1: Yeah, the Macy's, uh. Figures show quite a bit of discipline on inventories, Jim. Uh, we've been looking at inventories of double digits easily at some of their competitors here, only up four, and actually inventory to sales down 13 points yeah. at Macy's.
2: They're ni- you know, down 19% from twi- 2019. Holiday gift newness, this does matter what, what they have. This is exciting, it's good. Bloomies and Blue Mercury stand out. You know, David, I think, from sales guidance, David, I think that you're seeing this kind of all over the, the map. Uh, but that if you ask me right now, Target seems like more of an outlier than Home Depot, yeah. than Walmart, and certainly Lowe's, where Marvin Ellison took a lot of tough medicine, wasn't even mentioned to make Lowe's better. So uh, I continue to think that things are good, not great, uh, good versus where I thought they'd be. But when I listen to uh, someone like Bullard, I think he was hoping for bad, and only bad would really shake things up. And, and David... If we're hoping for bad, then we're hoping for a hard landing to to eliminate inflation. And I was still hoping for a soft landing to eliminate it over time.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's an interesting point. Of course, the question we were asking yesterday, is Target more of an outlier? And you seem to be answering it. And perhaps we're getting the answer with all these other uh, results. That said, is the Fed going to be happy that we continue to see this pace of layoffs only increasing, even potentially at Cisco as well, Jim?
2: Well, I think, and Cisco, just to be clear—they're not laying off; they're switching from, uh, one, they're they're moving away from uh, their the equivalent of Zoom in, into uh, security, and I thought that was good. Security was down nine percent, but I, I would I would tell you, David, that the the thing that uh, they just don't want to seem to recognize where the layoffs are coming from, and they're coming from tech, and I think that yesterday when we saw a piece, we just said. You shouldn't think that, that tech with thirty-four thousand layoffs is going to mean anything. I continue to think that tech is a function much broader. I mean, the whole point of tech, and how it advanced, was because it started touching every single part of our uh, of our country, including, of course, advertising, bankers, uh, lawyers. Uh, there's a complex involving tech that's much bigger say than housing. So, David, if we look at housing and we think, oh, that's slow, maybe you're okay. You should be looking at tech and the layoffs to decide whether they're okay. And the government has to get a little more in keeping with the idea that tech is integral to the economy and not just something that's ethereal and exists in a little valley in California.
0: Right. And we've talked about while the numbers may not be large, the spending power of those who had those jobs and are potentially losing them is quite significant. Pointed out yesterday, I think the median compensation at Alphabet, for example, is $295,000 a year. Of course, TCI did point out that that's far above much of the rest of Silicon Valley, something they want to actually see uh, brought down. Uh, Jim, you and I have spent plenty of time uh, over the last year or two talking about uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, just to change things up here a bit. Of course, our viewers may know I'm uh, making my annual pilgrimage here to Midtown where Liberty Media comes in from Colorado. Uh, And does all their presentations for all the different companies that they're involved with to uh, hundreds of investors here. Um, And I always also get the opportunity to sit down with John Malone, of course, the man who created it all um, uh, at Liberty Media. Um, And we did speak about a wide variety of topics, many of which we will get to uh, as this morning unfolds. But I did want to share... A brief bit from Mr. Uh, from Dr. Malone on uh, Warner Brothers' discovery. He's a significant shareholder. Obviously, he was one of the key engines or at least one of the key architects behind that deal when he was willing to give up his super voting shares to allow for the transaction to occur. And, of course, as we all know, it hasn't gone well at all from a stock market perspective. And so I asked him, well... What do you think now and what do you speak to David Zaslav, the man who runs Warner Brothers Discovery, about these days?
3: Well, whenever I talk to David, the first word out of my mouth is manage your cash. This is going to be a business that one should keep a very clear vision on, on cash generation. That will ultimately be the metric that David's success or failure will be judged on. Keep in mind that that the good news is, yes, it's got leverage, but its leverage is very long-term and relatively cheap in this environment. I believe their average debt cost is 4%. Uh, their average maturity is 17 years. So when we went into this, the board knew that this wasn't a short-term game. So, yeah. you know, I'm pretty comfortable that, that that if you got if you're patient now this is going to be a patient thing uh... not going to be overnight and there's going to be a lot of grumbling because you don't generate three and a half billion of operating synergies without you know breaking a few eggs
0: and that is uh... malone of course talking about what of course, as we know has been very disappointing performance from this company since it was split off and incorporated those uh, enormous warner assets from at and t Jim, we talked a lot about it. He mentions the leverage there. Free cash flow is what they want you to focus on. It's certainly what Malone wants you to be focusing on over time and delivering on the $3.5 billion in synergies the company's been talking about. The market cap here, relatively small at this point, but there is $50 billion worth of debt. And we do tend these days, as I think we should, to talk more often about the debt side of the equation as well.
2: Right, I think that's great. Look, Dr. Malone mentioned about the different maturities, but the fact is the equity here is that debt? So if you were to have free cash flow and you could buy all the debt, say, between 24 and 28 or between even just because they've got some very low, low coupon. Um, I think we would say, well, look, here's what they're doing. They're taking the EBITDA and they're going after the uh, the the real wound in the balance sheet. And that is instead of equity, just buy those back. And I think we'd all be much more certain of, about the viability here. Did Dr. Malone talk about viability of this asset?
0: Yeah. and uh, w- Well, I, he doesn't have any doubt about the viability. What we did talk a great deal about, and of course, we will uh, share this later on, always uh, as well after the broadcast, it's the entire interview will be available on CNBC.com. But what we did talk a lot about, uh, Jim and Carl, was, was streaming and how we really view the possibility of profitability in that business, to your point about viability, Jim. But when it comes to that capital structure, Malone's with you. He thinks that they should be. Aggressively exploring buying back certain parts of the capital structure and doing so at very advantageous dollars or cents on the dollar, therefore a way to retire uh, debt uh, in a, a very effective way, Jim.
2: Excellent. Really great. Really great. Look forward to reading everything.
1: Yep. I uh, got yeah, a lot of media news today. Roku with some layoffs. We'll talk about that. Coming up after the break, uh, the latest around FTX. As Sam Bankman-Fried says, quote, we got overconfident and careless. And as the new CEO who once helped liquidate Enron uh, has his view on the lack of controls he's discovering at that company. Take a look at futures. A lot of Fed speak today. Uh, Bostic, Bullard, Bowman, Mester, Kashkari twice as uh, the 10-year continues to swirl around. We're back in a moment. Welcome back. Let's turn to the latest around the FTX collapse with the new CEO John Ray going after Sam Bankman-Fried in a new court filing. Quote, never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. He goes on to point to faulty oversight led by a very small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated and potentially compromised individuals and calls the situation, quote, unprecedented. Some of the Estimates of the fair value of the crypto they have left Jim are stunning six hundred fifty bucks.
2: Yeah, look, you read Sam Bankman Fried's his tweet tweets, and they're they're otherworldly. Frankly, it's almost as if uh, there was this kind of fantasy world that we all read about in magazines, and and then there's the reality world. Uh, Look, there was nothing here, Um, and. Wait, like, do you want to say you fooled everybody? Do you, you want to say, or do you want to say that people wanted to be fooled? Because he was so brilliant. Yep. He went, went yep. to a Jane, Jane Street, that was the epitome of hedge funds, MIT, top. Uh, did we want to be fooled by this man? Because I, no one, it was impenetrable logic. Uh, we do when you just look. I mean, I interviewed Gary Gensler on this show, and he talked about well, there should be an exchange, and people should be very careful. Uh, exchange needs to be regulated. But, it, 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 and could everything just fall through the cracks? I don't know, David, the thing that really confuses me here is, is that uh, why are some people just invulnerable uh, and viewed, except by the media, was some somewhat skeptical? We were skeptical but just in general viewed as being uh, icons without any sort of uh, verification of their iconic stature?
0: It's a, it, it's a great question. I think it's one of the key questions here. You look at the pedigree, the investors in FTX. Uh, I'm not talking about the people who had money there. I'm talking about the, the, the investors who invested in the company. Tiger, Sequoia, Humber Bravo, BlackRock. I mean, on and on these are supposed to be the most sophisticated investors they're supposed to do the deepest due diligence obviously we question that at this point what really was done there certainly were those investors who chose not to get involved here Jim but I think the fact that many of the names I just mentioned did get involved gave others cover to do so as well and you had that good old fear of missing out and it just it happens at the highest levels Of finance, where you would expect um, deep dives, and you would expect real questions, and you would expect people to say, "Well, what about that relationship between you and Alameda? And what about cross collateralization? And what about, you know, so many other things?" I just, I come back to that group we're looking at right now, and I just, it makes you question a lot, doesn't it?
2: Yes. Well, let's say these were equities companies. We understand today there was no CFO. Um, what would any one of those companies invest in a, a listed company that had no CFO? Well they just do it. They say, listen, we no. don't need a CFO. No.
1: No.
0: Right, or board no. of directors. Now again, private companies don't typically have broad based boards, but you usually have some group of people, Carl, who are involved in governance and or at least can be relied on in some fashion to to over to look at things. Uh, no board of directors, no CFO. I, I, You know, listen, all this in hindsight is not particularly helpful, is it? Um, Did we, were we somewhat circumspect about him being talked about as an SJP Morgan? Yeah, we kind of did. We just showed the video. I thought it spoke volumes. I just with that. what?
2: There's still still a trillion dollars that maybe is equally unregulated. I mean, we've got to save some for people, right? I mean, I I agree with you in hindsight 2020 with this guy. But, you know, we've got lots of different coins and different things that we are are all kind of just saying, well, you know what? They're they're fine. Don't worry about it. don't worry about them. Don't look at them. And you know, Carl, I I, I, I question whether uh, that this asset class was just regarded as being pristine, A- and that we shouldn't just say it ends right here with Sam Bankman.
1: Uh, we're going to see. We're talking a lot more about potential spillover. We'll see what House Financial Services can can discover uh, next month, along with the U.S. regulators. And then as for Binance, uh, CZ was on squawk this morning, uh, pushed back on criticism from Nuriel Rabini and talked about whether he thought there was a misappropriation of funds.
2: It was pretty clear pretty soon that there's, you know, um, there's misappropriation of user funds. Um, the user funds are gone. Um, and um. Uh, uh, at that point, um it's clearly that he lied to his users, his investors, his VC investors, um his employees. at that point, I thought I couldn't like whatever data that's in the data room we couldn't trust anymore
1: uh, Meanwhile, uh, whether it's the tweets Jim or his text interview with Vox, which he's now trying to push back on that's another element of uh, of Ray's argument that his tweets and his communications now are undermining their ongoing case
2: well I, I David, uh, where, where, where's justice? <laughs> where's SEC? How many times do we asked Gary Gensler, David, about all this stuff? And, I don't know. You know. I mean, look, it, look I mean, caveat emptor. Okay, caveat emptor. But, you know, you do look at the, the imprimatur, of the outfits that you uh, that you mentioned, and, you know, caveat emptor w- wasn't going to protect you. Now, look, we may exist in alternate worlds. We have a securities world that is regulated, and then we have another world that has said, listen, we, we don't want to be regulated, and we obey them. And, David, I think that that's... I think the people at home are probably saying, "What the hell?" I mean, you just let this happen. But I guess it was okay, David.
0: But I, I, five billion, in, I didn't know. I thought five billion in leverage. Actually, you know, I thought we had five. We actually had thirteen billion. Thirteen, Carl. I right. find these tweets just
1: incredible. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Tomasek, uh, to your list of people riding down to zero, just adding onto that list of yeah. Vision Fund and Sequoia. We used to have
2: just this part. We SEC. Yep. Those were great. I remember that. Bobby Kennedy.
1: When we come back, we'll get Kramer's Mad Dash countdown to the opening bell. A lot of sell-side research to get to as well. Netflix, Whirlpool, Target, ServiceNow, uh, and some cruise lines. Don't go anywhere. We're back in a minute.
5: Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until...
4: The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m.
5: The office was shocked...
4: When we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime.
5: Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at Canva.com. Designed for work.
1: Futures under some pressure here as you got the two-year back to almost 4-4. Highest in a few days. Dollar index on pace for the best week since September 23. Uh, VIX a little elevated, closer to 25. Lot to get to this morning, including the opening bell in just about uh, four minutes. Don't go away. Let's get to Cramer's mad dash as we count down to the opening bell.
2: Well, I tell you, very rarely, Carl, do I see a piece of idolatry. Uh, and uh, Morgan Stanley has one for ServiceNow today. Uh, ServiceNow is basically, they would say, this is the one company technology can own. They're uh, taking workflow automation and, and taking it to what could be a $175 billion market capitalization, uh, market opportunity, the total adjustment market, as it goes beyond just workflow. Uh, I think we'll look back at this piece and say, and it's Keith Weiss, good analyst, that look, if you had one, Bill McDermott was the All right. one. Of the, I'd say perhaps the most positive piece of research I've seen about enterprise software in 2022. That's
1: interesting. Uh, Guggenheim uh, upgraded now a couple of weeks ago, but this does add some credibility to that that thesis, wouldn't you say?
2: and Bill McDermott's been on many times. He's winning, he is winning big contracts. He is doing more, um, other than perhaps we have, we have Palo Alto tonight with with the cash work of the security. I think that this is a piece that just says, uh, it doesn't really, the Bill McDermott. But I think what it should be called is Bill McDermott MVP, not unlike what we saw this morning with uh, the MVPs in baseball.
1: (laughs) Let's get to the opening bell and the CNBC real-time exchange of the big board today. It's GM uh, launching its EVs for everyone strategy. In fact, CEO Mary Barra will be on with Jim tonight. Yes, very exciting. At the NASDAQ Viet Challenge, a nonprofit focusing on entrepreneurs in Vietnam. I got a slew of uh, EVs out Outside the exchange oh, it's today, very exciting. Yeah. And
2: I, I think that they've got. You know, my wife, uh, I test drove the. Uh, she checked the Hummer. The the Hummer, and she says she's never turned as many heads, at, at, except for when she was in her twenties.
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting because you know, Morgan Stanley, Adam Jonas, yesterday had a note asking whether or not legacies can stay committed to
2: EVs, because. Everyone operates at a loss on it, except for Tesla. This is incredibly important for Ford, too. My travel trust owns Ford, and we talked about it today at our club meeting. I think it's the existential issue. I mean, how do you basically get rid of the cash cow and just go for the one that is e- experimental? And I think that straddling is something that Mary has done very well. At, but we can certainly question her. She is uh, very abject about the difficulties, uh, but sees the future and knows where she has to go. Yep.
1: Um, we'll watch that. Uh, looking at Tesla uh, once again, Jim, in the one eighties. Uh, Reuters with a story today on Musk's comments yesterday that he's identified a potential successor, a CEO over there.
2: I look. I I'm not saying I have the same feeling for Bill McDermott Service now I have for uh, for for Musk and Tesla, but I if you own Tesla, you certainly don't want him to leave. He's. You don't want, you didn't want Henry Ford to leave Henry Ford. I mean, there's just, a, there's certain people who are synonymous and who are great. But I know that he's taking on Twitter with gusto. Uh, I was hoping he'd solve the Twitter problem and go right back to Tesla.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, MKM has a note today saying they believe Twitter's losing market share. They call it a dysfunctional period. And they're looking for beneficiaries. They put Meta at the top of the list. Um, it would be incremental given its scale versus twitter then they add beyond that snap and pins
2: well you know i, I, I was talking with the people at uh, nvidia they have the platform that you write the metaverse on and they don't write metaverse but they have platform the opportunity they believe is vast uh zirkenberg's well ahead of everyone else i think in taking advantage of the opportunity but the amount of money that it will cost this is not from them but from my own work to make it so that metaverse is uh the way to go uh, is not underestimated by what Mark Zuckerberg says.
1: Let's, let's talk a bit about NVIDIA this morning, uh, because there was the miss. Uh, the guidance kind of in line inventory charge, data center up 30, but gaming down 50. Uh, they don't see blockchain as much of their future, no. given the resale
2: market. No, what they say, I know it, stay away. Look, I think the problem with NVIDIA is one word it's inventory. And you have to work off the inventory for gaming. Uh, it, it, I mean, when I say it's got to be worked off, it, nothing's going anywhere until that inventory is going to be worked off. But I think it's going to be worked off by the end of the year. And it's a bit of a game of chicken. If you get off now uh, and the inventory is worked off for gaming, I think you may wish, wow, what did, why did I do this? But right now, the story is not as crazy as I Absolutely. I would have thought they'd be. Look, sometimes be when you talk to them, you say, oh, I wish you guys were further along and getting rid of the inventory or further along in in making it so that uh, we don't have to worry about China. But China is tough. Over and over, China's tough. And I'm not talking about the PRC, the military side. I'm just talking about NVIDIA sells a lot of stuff into China, and that is a bad market. That's a stop-start market. And they have industrial use. And there's a lot of industrial NVIDIA, and if you open the factory and then close it and open and close it, well, that is just real bad for business. So NVIDIA's got... A, a lot of problems, but they are brilliant, and I think you're betting against Jensen Wong, Colette, Kress, if you think that the inventory's not going to be solved, and they won't be in good shape for gaming next year. I think that's a mistake. Huh. But gaming is so hated right now. Gaming has become the new Zoom. Gaming, and, you know, it's like Peloton, Doctor Sign, gaming, <laughs> and, and I think that's a shame because some of the people in gaming are very creative, and, and it, it's, it isn't like people have stopped gaming. It is like we all didn't become gamers. Right.
1: Uh, The industry's obviously got a lot of existential questions, David. I don't know if you saw Ken Griffin uh, this week talking to Bloomberg. Let's be very clear. If we lose access to Taiwanese semiconductors, the hit to U.S. GDP, probably on an order of magnitude of 5 to 10%, uh, it's an immediate Great Depression.
0: Wow. Those are big numbers. Even I have a good enough sense to know that those are big numbers if that were to actually occur. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be many years, of course, this capacity that's being built here that has been funded in part, will be funded in part by the CHIPS Act. As we pointed out many times, you don't build these things uh, in a day as we take a look at the semiconductor stocks. NVIDIA, uh, as Jim just said, sort of hanging in there. Uh, Advanced micro, uh, perhaps on that micron uh, warning yet again from yesterday, but generally some weakness there. Although in line, Jim, with the overall market at this point, with the NASDAQ down about 1.3%.
2: Right. I mean, look, there's no doubt about it. There, we all, we overbuilt. I mean, Carl, overbuilt for PCs, overbuilt for gaming. I mean, it, it happens. Overbuilt for Home Depot. I, people did, everything was in short supply. So a lot of the companies just went full bore, betting that they could meet the orders, which turned out to be double orders in some cases. And then you had a dramatic d- decline in the number of, a lot of this is PCs. When you saw 18, 19, 20%, <laughs> Uh, David, when you say 20% decline in PCs, that's reverberating still because it's just extraordinarily big.
0: Uh, Without a doubt, uh, it is. Guys, want to change direction here a bit because I do want to get back to uh, uh, Liberty Media Day where we are here, of course, uh, following it and uh, my annual interview with uh, John Malone uh, as well where we talk about so many different things, including, by the way, Meta. We're not going to talk about that now, but What the metaverse may mean for use of bandwidth was an interesting point that Malone discussed. And, again, it will all be available uh, on CNBC.com. Usually there's fairly broad interest in in hearing uh, the entire interview. But, uh, Jim, we talk so often about sports and sports rights, and you talk so often about football, Thursday Night Football on Amazon. It's a story right now, as it always is, as the bundle continues to unravel sports, perhaps the glue that holds it together. But at the same time, given its cost, one of the reasons why people may be choosing to cut the cord. And I asked Malone sort of where we are in that evolution and how he sees things playing out when it comes to all important sports rights and sports viewing.
3: When it comes to sports, one still sees enormous market power in sports as long as there's competition amongst distributors. So that that if a distributor feels like he has to have it or he's going to lose a meaningful number of his customers to somebody else, to a competitor, he'll pay the price and hope that everybody pays the same price so that there's no competitive disadvantage. The problem with that is you end up with a total bundle cost that just uh, uh, starts to drive people away from the bundle in, in total. I mean, for instance, Formula One is is a sport that, that I'm fairly familiar with. And the strategy of do you move Formula One over to streaming and get paid a lot of money by a streamer, or do you continue to bifurcate it, have a lot of it on broadcast television or, or free to air, let's call it, uh, how do you want? And, and as you're trying to build up scale and support for a sport, reach is very important. You want the broadest possible exposure of your sport, and you want to be able to promote it on the broadest possible platform. The, the history of using sports uh, as a locomotive or as a marketing tool, you know, has a long history in our business, and I suspect that. It'll be experimented with by the apples and the amazons uh, to see how sticky it is, you know how uh, how sustainable it is. The leagues are going to have to be careful; they don't want to end up with uh, a very high-priced premium service with no reach, because then the kids will stop watching the sport, right? So, right. so it's a, and the guys who run these these uh, leagues are very smart guys and they've got this pretty well figured out how to balance uh... reach promotion with their with their short-term economics
0: So, apple uh... and others but it will be i
2: I think just a I know he dropped off there, but uh, David Zaslav, wanted a discovery, he he's adamant that if you take a look at the uh, NBA, that they're the linchpin. He said their numbers are up more than 25% since the year begins, very early in the season. But that those rights end up in 2025. So when I mean, you listen to Zaslav and then you listen to him and and then you think about what Apple has in money, and if you see that Zaz, that Zaz is saying saying, hey, this is the greatest thing. Uh, Then, you know what? You just figure out how much he's going to pay, and then you add a zero to it, and it wouldn't even impact your bottom line. Where I do think that Malone is spot on is which one should go. I mean, Formula One is very exciting to people right now, so maybe that is. But but it's the idea that Adam Silver and the NBA is going to go with the low-cost bidder because it's TNT is just unfathomable.
1: Meanwhile, I assume you believe the consumer is solid enough to— Hey, for example, Mahaney's got a great piece this morning on Netflix and uh, basic with ads, which he believes is pretty smooth given how new a product it is. It's going to add to aggregate revenue over time.
2: Yeah, look, I think that a lot of us, we don't like commercials, but I mean, let's take the, the NFL. I mean, I, look, the NFL's got so many commercials per game, but we watch it. And if there's 55 million people watch fantasy, play fantasy, it's incredible that you watch fourth quarter of a game where some team is up by 21 points. Normally, you'd you you you'd shut it down. But no, people people are happy to watch commercials for the NFL. So I think that they'll be happy to watch commercials with Netflix. Right.
1: Well, we're definitely watching at least Eagles in the second quarter, I'm very which worried. continues <laughs> I'm after very worried. Goddard. Uh, Goddard on the IR. Uh,
2: yeah. There should have been. That was a terrible, a terrible, the ref, a terrible the I can say this because I, I, I don't play this week, but the, ref, the refs were abysmal, and I think, that the, I think that that game should have been reviewed by a. Uh, by the commission.
1: Yeah, uh, t- very tough. Uh, we'll go to break here. Take a look at bonds this morning. Uh, yields definitely creeping higher across the board. Ten-year back to three seven eight. Uh, Dow's down about two thirty as we await a lot more news. Every sector on the S and P red right now. Don't go anywhere.
0: Welcome back. We're here at Liberty Media's investor conference, bringing you, of course, uh, a lot of different news about a lot of different things, including the consumer, the ad market. There's a lot of other things we're going to talk to uh, with my next guest. He's Greg Maffei, of course, the CEO of Liberty Media. Good to see you. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Sorry it's been a year, but happy to to see you. Um, Well, you've got some news this morning involving the Formula One or Liberty Media itself in terms of the Atlanta Braves. So why don't we just start with the news there?
5: You're going to split off the Braves, create a new Liberty Live tracking stock. Why are you doing this? Well, I think by creating a separate asset back Braves, and by isolating within our tracking stock structure, our stake in Live Nation, we have an opportunity to show, the, highlight the value of those assets, give investors greater choice, and create future flexibility for any kind of transaction we, we might want. What does that mean, any future transaction you might want? Well, if we wanted to combine with somebody else, if we wanted to join, bring somebody else in, it's, it's a crisper structure. It's a it's a. How long is it gonna take to get done, Greg? I would think we'll probably have it done in six, eight months at the most. Um, And the Braves themselves,
0: I mean, sorry. Of course, we both, both our teams won over 100 games, fought it down to
5: the the wire, and then... It it was a great battle. And then 87 wins. 87 wins. And and clearly, the the Phillies got hot, and full credit to them. But I think the Astros were a stronger team, and you sort of saw the Phillies, even though they were strong, kind of ran out of gas at the end.
0: So when the Atlanta Braves trade as sort of their own pure equity and people are making a decision based simply on the fortunes of the team and the real estate around it, what
5: is the argument for growth there? Well, I think we've seen great growth at uh, the Braves, both by growing, as you pointed out, the real estate, but importantly, the uh, on-field performance. I think we have fourth highest attendance of any team. We've had the 20-plus percent growth. We have the highest utilization of our stadium. We have relatively low ticket prices with an opportunity to grow them. So there's a lot of ways in which the Braves are an attractive economic asset.
0: All right, let's talk about Formula One, another asset that you've been talking about. And interestingly, I've gotten a lot of incoming inquiries from. There does seem to be investor interest, in part because the sport is growing. Yes. That Netflix show has clearly helped you a lot. Drive to Survive has been a great asset. Um, What are the growth prospects at Formula One, particularly when it comes to another venue, perhaps, here in the United States? You're in Austin and Miami. Las Vegas is starting when? Next year. November 23.
5: Okay. Uh, And is there the possibility of growing to a fourth? Well, I think we'll probably digest the three and we'll see where we go. The reality is is we have a lot of ways to grow the sport. We've increased the number of races, we've increased the revenue we get per race, we've increased the TV viewership and what we get paid, notably here in the U.S., uh, and we've increased our advertising and sponsorship with some great new partnerships with people like Salesforce and MSC and AWS becoming a global partner. So lots of ways we're growing the revenue stream.
0: Um, Crypto is an important sponsor of some of this stuff. Does it have an impact in terms of the collapse of
5: them, particularly when it comes to the ad dollars? Yeah, some of the teams have important partnerships. But frankly, Liberty Parent, or excuse me, Formula One at our level, we do have a partnership with Crypto.com. We feel reasonably confident in it. Look, when we put our business case together for Formula One, uh, it really didn't have a lot of crypto sponsors in it. So anything we get is kind of a lucky strike extra, to use a John Malone phrase. And do you think that they will be easily replaced, though? Oh, yeah, we have a ton of demand. First of all, I think they're going to honor their commitment. But secondly, we have a ton of demand.
0: Well, it's hard on your commitment when you're bankrupt. I mean, it depends. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Crypto.com is not bankrupt yet. Understood. Understood. I was talking about FTX. Any chance New York? Uh, There was some talk that you were talking to Mayor Adams here in New York, Randall's Island. Is that a possibility at some point for for an F1 race? New York
5: is a beautiful city, but I think it would be a very difficult city to pull off a race. You do? Yeah. The politics are tough, even despite the mayor's support.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, we have all these politicians who like to get involved. In fact, there was uh, once uh, the possibility of Amazon having a big headquarters here, but a politician named uh, uh, AOC. was opposed. She's um, figuring into your business again. Reminder Ticketmaster owned by Live Nation, 30 plus percent owned by Liberty. Yes. Um, so, this tweet daily reminder Ticketmaster's monopoly, its merger with Live Nation should never have been approved, and they need to be reined in. This, in response to all those enraged fans of Taylor Swift who weren't able to get tickets. How
5: do you respond to that? Well, I'm first, and all the Live Nation team is sympathetic that the long wait times and fans who couldn't get what they wanted. Uh, Reality is, it's a function of the massive demand that Taylor Swift has. Uh, The site was supposed to be opened up for 1.5 million verified Taylor Swift fans. Uh, We had 14 million people hit the site, including bots, another story, which are not supposed to be there. And despite all the challenges and the breakdowns, we did sell over 2 million tickets that day. We could have filled 900 stadiums. And the reality is is this is not actually a Live Nation promoted concert. Taylor Swift is promoted by one of our largest competitors. So though AOC may not like every element of our business, interestingly AEG, our competitor who is the promoter for Taylor Swift, chose to use us because we are, in reality, the largest and most effective ticket seller in the world. Even our competitors want to come on our platform. All right, but you're getting
0: overwhelmed still. It's not the first time. Is there a way to get around this? Is there a way to avoid this where
5: everybody's, you know, I got a 17 year old daughter. She's pissed. Well, I'm I apologize to your daughter and I apologize to all our fans. We are working hard on this. And again, you know, building capacity for peak demand is something we attempt to do, but this exceeded every expectation. And the reality is Taylor Swift hasn't been on the road for three or four years, and that's caused a huge issue I mean, since her last album.
0: Well, you're right. I mean, Live Nation's benefited, obviously, from this last year. Can that kind of growth continue in terms of concert venues and people still, you know, was it pent-up demand, or do you
5: see it continuing? I see both. You know, we see what I used to call instead of YOLO, you only live once, YOLO, you only unlock once. And you've seen massive growth and success at Live Nation for that. But I look at the demand for 2023, I suspect it's still very strong. We see a lot of pent-up interest.
0: Uh, When it comes to demand for 23 ads, uh, you
5: get some visibility into that. How's the ad market looking right now, Greg? Clearly more challenging. We're seeing that to some degree in Sirius with uh, Pandora. We're seeing that a little bit of places like uh, uh, TripAdvisor. So you can see the weakening. I don't see weakening yet in consumer demand, but I see businesses looking ahead and fearful of it and cutting back on their ad spend. You think we're going to have a recession next year? Uh, You know, that's a technical term. I think high-end consumers are going to continue to do pretty well. I think lower and middle consumers are more challenged. Greg, it's
0: always a pleasure. Sorry we didn't have a little bit more time, but thank you. Thank you, David. All right, Greg Maffei from Liberty. Carl, back to you.
1: All right, David, thanks so much. Uh, some broad-based weakness to start this Thursday morning. Dow's down 250. S&P right around uh, 39.15, about a one-week low. Don't go anywhere.
2: <laughs> let's get to Jim and stop trading. You know, I do want to get to Norwegian, but first, uh, just to note, Cisco, a good quarter last night is up. NVIDIA is up, and Advanced Micro is up. So let's just be careful about being too negative. Norwegian Cruise Holdings. There's a piece by Credit Suisse today which goes from buy to sell, um, and I think the piece is wrong. A Norwegian is a quality operator. Frank Del Rio is doing a terrific job. I believe that the premium that it has is worthy because I think that they have the best deal. Um, they, I think they have great ships and I've got the reasonable prices. I was up there on his most recent uh, launch. And when they go over the balance sheet and they go over the orders, I feel quite confident if I had to, to um, pick one that I, I feel most uh, confident in the stock, um, I, it would be that one. By the way, you know, we, you know, my family likes to cruise, and, and I'm not saying necessarily that, I mean, I was going to take a Norwegian cruise trip mm-hmm. right before COVID broke out, but I, I just don't see any reason to think that this should be the, buy, I mean, by the whole, but not buy the sell. Yeah, that it's, no it's weird. They do
1: say they just, they prefer RCL as their but, general yeah, point. Yeah, but
2: by the cell and buy the whole, I mean, <laughs> this made it sound like Norwegian cruise was sinking. Yeah. And, you know, they, this is not true. Right. Uh, so tonight. Okay. Tonight, we have Exponential Fitness, which a lot of people like as a club. We've got a GM, and we're going to be going outside looking at the new cars with, with Mary Barra. And then we have Nikesh Aurora, which has, I believe, the number one cybersecurity company. And I wouldn't be surprised once again that you will make money if you are in that stock.
1: Uh, yeah, that's, that's a show. We can't wait to Thank see you. a lot Thank of you very much tonight, Jim.
2: We'll see you at 6. Yep. Mad Money, of course, right here on CNBC. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street